Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> um, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us um, from all around the world. I've discovered that we have people listening to us in Russia um, recently. That's super fun. Um, we thank God for that. Um, blessings to our Russian audience and to people from other places that we've never been able to set foot on, but somehow by the mercy and grace of God, we've been um, privileged to discover that this wonderful community people um, are interested in our measure um, of supply to the body. Hallelujah. Welcome everyone. Welcome Renita. Welcome Olatosin. Welcome Pastor Uche. Let's get this party started. Let me hit record here. And um, before we do get it started though, I wanted to say something. Our conference is upcoming and it starts, uh, let's see here, um, on the 22nd of September. And it runs from that time till the 24th. Um, the Lord is raising up watchmen and watchmen um, will be making decrees. Um, if you remember how, what's his name, Nebuchadnezzar's internal operations, internal configuration was transformed. It was by the decree of the watchers. Hallelujah. And so God is raising up such individuals at this time. And um, I am one of them. And so are you. So let us praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, thank you, Jesus. All right. Um, good evening, beloved. Um, welcome. Um, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us. Um, 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 on behalf of Pastor Francis Seabor and the rest of the Kevdulum leadership, I want to tell you thank you so much for joining us. We don't take it lightly that you're joining us for a special time in the word. Hallelujah. We hope that these sessions would um, basically develop in you something, a stronger grasp or understanding of the purpose behind the scriptures and also would um, knit your heart even more closely with him as you embrace organic priesthood. Um, this is how our dominion is going, our dominion is going to be birthed. The Bible says um, the scepter of the kingdom of God is righteousness. And this um, subject matter of righteousness is something that God is having us on as believers from faith to faith, right? The righteousness of God is revealed for one measure of faith, another measure of faith. And God wants us to come into all the judgments of God. Hallelujah. And so um, we are on this journey. We've been on the journey of the ecosystems. Let's put this up here real quick. The ecosystems of the age to come. And um, our, our um, journey, this um, today's um, open book study, <laughs> this session, um, even continuing all of this, is um, still looking at what does dominion look like. Our, our goal is to make sure that we are not coming up with, maybe based on maybe a gift that we have or one or two testimonies, we then arrive at a conclusion, right? On what this entire you know, book is about, amen? We've had many doctrines that sprang from one encounter, one vision that was received, which was probably from God, amen? Which might have been from God, might have been from the devil, who knows? But then because of not enough of the volume of scripture defending these things, we find ourselves going off in the wrong direction. There is a verse, um, um, because there is no light in them. It is in Psalm, sorry, Isaiah actually. Yes, Isaiah chapter eight, a beautiful portion of scripture. And I think it's very important for we as believers to understand. Isaiah chapter eight, I'm gonna start from verse, um, I have here 20. Let's start from verse 19, can we do 19? 
yeah, let's start from let's start from that. And this is something that is very crucial for we as believers. Uh, we need to understand this. This is very, very important. So put on the screen. When they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, um, who whimper and mutter. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, someone would say, who on earth would advise you to seek mediums and wizards? <laughs> as a believer, without a firm understanding of the scriptures, anyone that prophesies, amen. We're going to see why in a second. Let me not get ahead of myself. Should not a people seek their God? The Bible is saying, should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Isn't that wonderful? I love that. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The Bible is saying here, anyone that is not any, any prophet, basically, anyone that is not speaking in alignment with what is captured in the scriptures, amen, they're speaking that way because there is no light in them, amen. As God's people, the book of James, we are described, amen, as children of the father of lights, amen. In fact, in several of the scriptures in Corinthians, you see Paul explicitly calling us lights, amen. Hallelujah. And this, this is, some, is a nature that um, if a virtue of our, or a, an aspect of our nature that we should not take for granted. Amen. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. We are his offspring. Amen. Therefore, there should be no darkness at all in us. Now here, darkness doesn't just mean evil. Darkness also means ignorance of the light, right? The absence of light. Sometimes darkness doesn't appear evil. If I need to tell what, when, when something is evil requires light to begin with, right? A child can poop on themselves because of the absence of light. It's seen as okay, but that is not really acceptable, right? In modern day society and culture, that is, what are you doing? Something is wrong. Because of the lack of light, it is seen as acceptable, right? Hallelujah. For those in the world, like I like what Paul said, you know, there's some things that are acceptable in the world system, but we should not be allowing around ourselves. Amen. The Bible says that some things that should not be even mentioned among us. Amen. We need to take these things very seriously. Hallelujah. When we see any of these things manifesting in ourselves, we need to take them very seriously. And um, one of the ways we will know, hallelujah, one of the reasons why um, some things are okay in the world but not okay in the church is because of the presence of light. For you to have light and continue in darkness, something is very wrong. I'm not talking about when people make mistakes. I'm talking about a lifestyle of entertaining darkness. Amen. That is, in a Christian walk, that... Bible says, if you know you walk in darkness, you, you lie and you're doing the truth, right? There's something wrong somewhere. Um, as believers, we are uh, meant to be um, stewards of the mysteries of God. Amen. And I'm not just speaking about knowing what is right and wrong as in don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. I'm talking about understanding what the vision of God is. That which is right, the judgments of God, amen, require an understanding of the scriptures. Amen. And um, this light is essential for arrive arriving at the destination of the christian walk without it let's i guess maybe some context in this isaiah 8 passage would help us out let's start from verse say isaiah 8 from verse 16. hallelujah it says here bind up the testimony seal the law among my disciples i will wait on the lord who hides his face from the house of jacob and i will hope in him here I, here I am, and the children whom the Lord has given me, we are for signs and wonders from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Hmm. And when they say to you, seek those, so this guy said, I'm going to wait for the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, okay? Now, when people are saying to you, don't bother seeking God, look at alternatives, okay? 
He's saying here, should not say people seek their God, should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. In other words, the people that have a light in them are disciples. If we look back at what he says, right? Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. The disciple is a follower of Jesus. If you are interested in following Jesus and becoming like Jesus, amen, then you are interested in the testimony, in the law, the testament and the law, the covenant and the law, amen? As believers, um, a lot of church, church world um, for years, there hasn't been a proper understanding of these things, what these things actually are, amen? Hallelujah, but we believe God that at this time and we're seeing it happen, there is an unveiling that is taking place, beloved. An unveiling of, 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 of this scripture that is bound, right? It has been unsealed, right? It is sealed among God's disciples and to us who are disciples, it has been unsealed. Um, man, that is a wonderful portion of scripture you like to see somewhere else in the Bible. Hint to the hint to the hint, Revelation 6, hallelujah. Okay, um, all of this is because the law and the testament are meant to be um, held by priests of God. Um, if you check, he mentioned here, I would wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. The reason why God hides his face from Jacob is not because he's hiding from them, is because when God invited Jacob up on the mountain to be with him, Israel said no. Remember the encounter we've spoken about from Isaiah chapter 19, amen, where God invited Israel into organic priesthood, when they rejected the Lord, amen, they not only rejected the Lord, when Moses went up, they rejected God again, when Moses came down and his face was shining like the sun, they rejected him again, again, and again. Amen. They said, God, you put, put a veil over God's face. We don't want his spirit. Amen. That's actually what happened when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. When he came down from Mount Sinai, he had the spirit of the letters. So God never really wanted people to do, obey his instructions without the unction, without a measure of the spirit resting upon them. In fact, if you read Isaiah, is a verse where God says, this is my covenant with them, my spirit which is upon them, and my words are put in their mouth and in the mouth of their children and their children's children and their seed forevermore, amen. God always wanted the spirit, amen, to uh, minister life in some form or fashion, amen. But we know Romans chapter eight, right? It's required the fullness of the spirits of God to break, amen, the, the cage of blindness that Satan has released. And so um, for this reason, um, um, Jesus had to die, right? If, if grace, if, um, if the, if the righteousness, if righteousness was possible according, um, with the law alone, Christ died in vain. That's what Paul said in Galatians, right? Galatians chapter two, hallelujah. So we don't set aside that grace of God, that provision of God, and we don't set it aside, amen, by making sure that we yield, like we enjoy benefit from his sacrifice. And if you check Galatians properly, you see that the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was meant to yield to us this blessing of the spirits of God. Hallelujah. And this is where the New Testament priesthood comes back in again. Amen. Priests are concerned with spirits, right? With bridging the gap between the natural realm and the spiritual realm. Amen. Generally, um, what priests do is that they make many realms accessible. Hallelujah. They close the ones that don't need to be accessible and they open the ones that need to be accessible. All right. And the ones we want to be opening up are the realms of God. Right. Amen. And this is captured by the principle of veils. The priest is the one that's able to go through the veil. Amen. And they, people that can't go with him, he can go on their behalf and represent them even further. I am breaking down some of the um, you know, basic bullet points of priesthood. Hallelujah. And I'm saying all these things because 
um, that invitation that God had for Israel to come up in the mountain, that organic priesthood was inviting them in, was actually an invitation into the civilization of Israel as God would have had it. Amen. God wanted Israel to have an organic, like the people group, the people that they would have become as a consequence of that um, time on Mount Sinai, they would have become um, 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 a, a royal priesthood. Amen. The Exodus 19 narrative, all right? A peculiar people, a special people, amen, a chosen people, amen. And what would have happened is that their culture would not have been as parabolic as it is in the scriptures right now. If if what happened in 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 the book of Exodus was less of a tragedy, we would have had a slightly clearer picture of what our priesthood is, even now in the New Testament. But because um, Israel said no, we now have to rely on these symbol, you know, symbols and these parables, and these types and shadows of what our priesthood looks like. Hallelujah, and. Um, all of these, um, even these, uh, what should we call it? These symbols and these thresholds are themselves referred to as veils. And so priesthood is concerned with going through those veils. I'm just trying to paint something here, okay? The true civilization of a people group, irrespective of where they're out, they are on the earth, is unlocked, is activated, is discovered through their priesthood, all right? And if you remember what we shared last week, we shared that, um, or last time, sorry, um, it was that priesthood is unlocked um, or is is access, accessed in thresholds, right? Um, from faith to faith, right? Um, righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Again, we explained that priesthood is concerned with righteousness, right? Um, purging out iniquity and ensuring righteousness. And that speaks about the judgments of God, that which is desirable, that which is good, that wisdom of God, right? You see priests, um, they adorn that wisdom. They're able to tell people, when the right thing to do the right this thing ought to be right they can tell when the rain is coming when the moon is coming when to offer on how to offer a sacrifice how to please the gods how to get your business working basically priests they they have that wisdom of that civilization of that culture hallelujah and we explained their thresholds of priesthood and um we use the reading off of my notes here for my recap here okay we use the picture of the finger of god hallelujah um, as demonstrated in Egypt, as demonstrated on Mount Sinai, and as demonstrated in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, hallelujah, and even in Jesus' when he would speak about how if I cast out demons by the finger of God and elsewhere, when he says I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is upon you, and using the finger of God to show different, you know, that there are actually thresholds of priesthood. What you actually see um, as plagues in Egypt was, you know, outflows of the spirits of God to activate specific operations of God. Specific one is the finger of God. And we explain that when the finger of God is at work, there is no other spirit that, that's working at that time. Um, the scriptures, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, capture this operation of the finger of God as the spirit of the Lord. Amen? The Bible says when the veil is taken away, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Another translation would say where the spirit is Lord, there is liberty. Amen. And that's what you saw, you know, typified in the third plague um, in the book of Exodus, when after the first two plagues, the, the magicians were able to mimic what the spirit of God was doing. But by the time they got to the third plague, they knew they couldn't move any further. They said this right here, this is the spirit of the Lord at work. Amen. It's the same Holy Spirit that was manifest in the first two plagues. Right. Hallelujah. The same lights of God manifest. OK, but 
there's different names specifically given as captured in the scripture, so many degrees or manifestations of God. For example, the spirits of God, the spirit of the Lord is called the spirits of might at times when he's manifesting might. Does that make sense? Sometimes he's called the spirits of wisdom and of understanding of knowledge and counsel. Amen. All of these, all right, impartations that the spirit of the Lord releases are by the self-same spirit. Amen. But based on what he is doing, he is given that name, the spirits of glory, right? The spirits of, of the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, understanding this will help you understand scriptures too. The Lord adorns in several names based on what he is doing. When God is Bible says that when God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he did not reveal himself by the name Yahweh. He revealed himself as, by the name El Shaddai, the destroyer of wickedness. And um, I'm going to piggyback on that for a minute here because this is actually a picture of, um, I want to make sure I'm still on roots where we're getting at here. Because that name El Shaddai, hallelujah, is a name that is summoned um, Paul K. Davis will call it the El Shaddai blessing, Papa Paul K. Davis, amen? And that is what um, the priests would use to release the blessing upon the children of Israel. That was not unique to the Orthodox priesthood, amen, in Numbers chapter 6, but it was actually the wisdom of God that God wanted to spell out upon Israel on the mountain. As Yahweh, he was going to lead them to the mountain where they will meet God as El Shaddai, amen? Priesthood introduces you to El Shaddai. But because they rejected priesthood, amen, organic priesthood, the Orthodox priesthood came. Well, El Shaddai was released to them only once a year. God wanted them to experience El Shaddai, amen, for at least a period of 40 days and 40 nights, amen, the same way that Moses did. The fruit of that is that El Shaddai would destroy wickedness in the heart. And when hatred for wickedness is found, it is because there is a love for righteousness, amen. The fruit of that, amen, is that Again, righteousness being revealed from faith to faith, right? Hallelujah. The fruit of that is that Israel would have the laws or the testimony of God or the testament upon their hearts. And because of that, the Shekinah glory can rest on them the same way he rested, the Shekinah glory, the spirit of God rested, hallelujah, upon the tablets of stone, the Ark of the Covenant. Amen. We see this with Jesus. Amen. At the, at the, at the uh, what you call it at the Jordan River when Jesus Christ experienced a measure of righteousness. Remember, he spoke to John the Baptist and said, um, um, "It must, it needs be, suffer to be so, so that we can fulfill all righteousness." The fruit of fulfilling all righteousness when um, he submitted to John the Baptist, Amen. The fruits of that was that the heavens were ripped open, and then the spirits of God came and descended upon him as a dove. So the spirit rested upon him gently, Amen. The dove um, um, imagery used there was not to describe the Holy Spirit per se, but the manner with which he rested upon Jesus. He bodily rested upon Jesus like a dove would rest upon someone, okay? That was spoke about how gently he rested. He didn't come with, when the Spirit descends upon people um, as fire, as different things or whatever, it's usually because there's things to be burnt up. Good example of that was when Elijah, um, you know, um, I think I explained this, maybe it was your word for now, I can't remember, I think it was last week, yeah, I did, I think so, was it? Anyways, I know it was definitely word for now, my bad. Elijah's ministry of the washing of the, when he built back the altar of Israel, this was during the showdown with the prophets of Baal, as water was poured out over Israel, signifying repentance, then he now said, um, oh Lord, I've done according to your word, um, please turn the hearts of these people back to you. And to do that, the Lord descended to turn their hearts back to them as fire and he burnt up, hallelujah, the sacrifice, hallelujah. Um, that was because there had to be a judgment, right? 
of, of wickedness. Amen. So many times the spirit of God is coming, but the form he takes, right? Or the manifestations you see are subjective and they're dependent on whatever he's coming to do. So this again ties into you like the El Shaddai, the Yahweh, amen, the El Elyon, okay? is the same God, but just manifesting differently depending on whatever needs to take place. Hallelujah. This is why, why I keep on saying things like God, you know, and spiritual things should not be seen only by their form, but primarily by their function because the function, the function might be the same, but the form is different, right? Give the example of, you know, Walkmans and, and uh, Walkmans and CD players and cassette players and, you know, iPods and iPhones and even watches now and these earphones that can store music. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm sure everyone is on the same page here. Um, I'm dying things back to um, the fact that the El Shaddai blessing was not first introduced in Numbers chapter six. Actually, if you check the patriarchs, God explicitly told Moses that these people, um, your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am that God they walked with, but I appeared to them in a specific way as El Shaddai, okay? But now I'm appearing to Israel as Yahweh to save them. Now, the purpose of my saving them is to bring them to where their ancestors were, amen? where they could relate to El Shaddai. God wanted the same organic priesthood that he had with Abraham, with all the children of Israel. God achieved that with, with Moses. We know this because Abraham was God's friend, according to the scriptures. And the Bible also speaks about Moses being God's friend, amen? So the organic priesthood God is interested in, please hear me out, is friendship. Hallelujah. God wants friendship with us, genuine friendship. Friendship where we're not counting time, how much time we spend with God. Friendship where we're looking for opportunities to be with God. Friendship where we don't care about what people think about my relationship with God. Friendship where I am genuinely by myself, organically, instinctively looking forward to appear before God. Hallelujah. I think this is what we're looking for, right? We are looking for friendship with God, intimacy with God. The route to do this though, hallelujah, is going through the process that El Shaddai blessing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. This is what we're after. Friendship, organic priesthood friendship with the Lord. And this is what our ancestors had custody of. Amen. They came into this by their, you know, intentional um, restructuring of their lives, poised towards um, friendship with God. And the fruit of this was that you see these um, patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they came into measures of righteousness. Amen. And because of this, they also experienced measures of dominion as well. And what we said before, the scepter of God's kingdom, amen, is a scepter of righteousness. Hallelujah. And you would see that many of these people that walked with God, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, many of them, you see all of, actually everyone in Hebrews 11, you see they all, almost everyone, at least the first few ones, you see righteousness was a major anthem behind all of them. This one was declared to be righteous. This one was the heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. This one was, and on and on and on and on. Righteousness is a major thing. You keep on seeing Hebrews 11 repeating, and for, for good reason, right? Because the Bible says that these people enjoyed um, God's word framing their worlds. Amen. And I, I'm pulling all of this out um, to show us a few pictures. Amen. One of them, I think, um, let me see if I can find, it's in the book of Genesis, speaking about Noah. Amen. Um, in Genesis chapter, come on there. No. Hmm. Mm, I think, um, yeah, Genesis chapter seven. That's good, because I knew it had to do with, it had to do with flood. 
I think from verse two. Yes, Genesis seven, from the very beginning. Okay, let's let's jump in here. All right, cool. The Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. <laughs> Look at that. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and a female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. So right there, you can see that Noah had an understanding of what clean animals were and unclean animals were. Now, I don't think that God explicitly said to him what, you know, what we're reading here, basically, what God spoke to him was heard in this manner, maybe it was heard in a different way, but there was an organic way, all right, that Noah was able to tell the animals that were clean and the ones that were unclean. God might not have said the clean animals. God might have said, um, what should we call it? Um, the, so, some of them pick some that are, that are that, um, pick seven of, of the good ones and the ones that are not too good. And then Noah would have been able to discern which ones were clean and unclean. Does that make sense? I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say here is that sometimes the verbiage might be different, right? The language might be different, but you see the, the um, for lack of better words, the exercise of the heart, amen? The same pattern, right? The same priesthood is repeated. Hallelujah. Okay, and I'm saying all of these things to make sure I drive this point across that these things that you keep on hearing us say in the cave, like the, the priesthood, um, the feasts, the tabernacle, um, even the Hebrew language, these things were not, <sighs> hallelujah, these things were an intrinsic wisdom, all right, taught in many different ways, all right, to our ancestors, but even till now are still taught as we are learning who Jesus Christ is, amen? Then I'm saying this because that El Shaddai blessing, for example, that we saw, amen, with, with um, Moses and Aaron, Aaron and the priest, Moses instructed Aaron and the priest, was also seen, hallelujah, in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, amen? And this, it, it is a point that we understand this. So when you hear things like Abraham releasing the blessing or, or Isaac releasing the blessing upon Jacob, sorry, amen, there was something that took place that was very similar to what would happen on the day of atonement, right? Hallelujah, where there'll be a blast, amen, of that Shekinah glory upon the people. And because of that, there is something that happens in their hearts that allows them, yields them, amen, a destruction of wickedness in the heart. what I'm trying to get at here. In 2 Corinthians chapter three, you see that same process. The major difference is that the Shekinah glory is inside of us now. So we don't have to go to an Abraham or an Isaac and a Jacob, right? Christ lives on the inside of us. In fact, the narrative in Romans chapter 10, 11, and 12 is do not say in your heart who would bring up Christ from the dead or who would bring God down from heaven. No, no, no. The word is near you in your heart and in your mouth, the word of faith which we preach. In other words, in the New Testament, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are able to engage this priesthood anywhere we are. We don't need a physical environment anymore. We don't even need a physical person per se anymore. Amen. We're able to function in our priesthood once we have an understanding of the word. Amen. Hallelujah. And faith in our hearts. Amen. Now, because faith works by love and because the summary of the law is love, there is no way that anyone that is actually engaging in this priesthood is looking for how to get away from humanity, right? 
as if, if you are receiving, if wickedness is being destroyed from your heart, and so is selfishness, amen, then because of that, you're finding righteousness in your heart. And when righteousness, if you were part of the Kabadulum community, um, a year ago, our last Watchman conference was called the Breastplate of Righteousness, right? If righteousness is in your heart, you're going to discover there's going to be a love for the body, amen? So anyone that's a priest, amen, anyone that's coming into their priesthood understands Amen. Synergy, love, covenant. Amen. These are signs that you are being overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. The Bible says in the book of Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Amen. That new creation estate, that new man inside of you, hallelujah, if he's been allowed to, if that Shekinah glory inside of you has been allowed to erupt in your heart, we would see it as love in your heart. We wouldn't see it as you looking for excuses to prove that you are the one that knows God. Amen. This is why I know that whenever we encounter operations of God at a primitive level, gifting without our character being affected, without our hearts being tampered with severely, we haven't yet touched the finger operation of God yet. Because that's where we can see people uh, manifesting things like pride and arrogance and and a lack of love and genuine concern for the people of God, even though they've seemingly spent time with God. They have legitimately spent time with God and they have received some operations, amen? I wanna say some, I'm gonna say some gifting because operations at the, at the most primitive level are captured as gifts of God, amen? You see that in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, orations of God, ministries of Christ, and giftings of, or manifestations of the spirits of God, amen? We're not meant to stop there. We're meant to continue, amen? As we continue with our, with um, our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we, we discover that, oh, these gifts are for the body, amen? For the body. And so because of that, the heart for the body comes in. And with that, you even find um, ministry gifts of Christ manifesting. These are not unique to those who are only called to the fivefold ministry. Ministry gifts of Christ are actually um, sent out to all members of the body. If you read Ephesians chapter four very carefully, you see he divides, you know, this measure of the gifts of Christ to all members of the body. Amen. And ultimately we want a pinnacle or climax at operations of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So um, I'm saying all these things because with this understanding in mind that people like Noah, people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew these things. They knew the El Shaddai blessing. They knew clean and unclean animals. They knew many things that are found in the law. That suggests to me that they knew the feasts also. Amen. Maybe they didn't know it the way it is orthodox. Again, don't forget, it's not the orthodox priesthood we're looking at. We're looking at the organic priesthood, right? So because of that, it might have been known a different way. But because of the workings of the spirits of God actively taking place inside of the patriarchs, we, we can tell from the scriptures they knew these things. So they might not have known Jesus' name as Yeshua, to know him as light, as, as, you know, as Lord, amen? Cool sounds what I'm saying. They might have known that Yahweh, when he manifested, he just called him El Shaddai or the Lord God Almighty or something. It's not about the words you say with your mouth. Amen. Hallelujah. With your physical mouth. It is actually the words you say with your heart. Amen. What the Bible refers to as the tongue. After the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The fruit of an experience or encounter with God is actually what we're after. The Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. Calling upon the name of the Lord is not done with your physical mouth. It's done with your heart. Amen. That's in context of Romans chapter 10. If you read that, Romans chapter 10, very carefully, you see that. It's not your physical mouth that calls upon the name of the Lord. It is out of the abundance of your heart. Hallelujah. Now I'm saying all these things so that we can, because we, we were looking at the feast last time, amen? And we stopped 
hallelujah, at, um, um, excuse me, um, at Pentecost, amen? And um, Pentecost, the month of Sivan, amen? These are the Jewish months, amen? Um, Jewish months are evenly distributed. So because of that, there's some overlap here and there, um, but mostly you're gonna see that they bleed out of our Gregorian calendar. And these months were divided, there's 12 months, and each of them has the exact number of days, it's 12 days of lunar cycle, amen? And um, all of these months, hallelujah, have spiritual significance. Just like how January, February, March, April, May, June, July, all of these also have spiritual significance. These are names of um, Roman, Greco-Roman entities, right? But then here you have Nice and all these or whatever they have. Um, Jewish names. Okay, cool. Now I'm, I'm pointing out here that all of these months correspond to measures of the spirits of God invading the soul. This is what priesthood is concerned with. Amen. This is how we, when we're interested in civilization of God, amen. When we're interested in dominion of God, what we're actually interested in is in the Holy Spirit hijacking, amen. Sitting upon the thrones of the soul, hijacking the gateways of the heart. Those channels, amen from our, um, um, that our, 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 um, our senses into the depths of our being, amen? Those channels that make what we see control us or what we hear control us when a specific person is controlled. Basically the principle of the thrones of the soul needs to be understood for lack of better, oh, I, mean, I wish I had got my diagram here. I don't have it here with me. Do I have it here? I don't think so. I have like this crude one. I think I used it like a few weeks ago. So here's a picture. I uh, don't think I want to use this here. Okay, let's just use this pretty quickly, okay? So here's a, a, an illustration, okay? Your spirit is right here, amen? Here is your soul and here's your body, hallelujah. And um, your soul has these gates, like the conscience, reason, imagination, mind. These are actually the thrones, sorry, not gates. Um, thrones of your soul, the conscience, reason, imagination, your your mind, your emotions, your choice, your will. Hallelujah. There's a lot more, but we'll get into that right now. Um, but basically where it says your mind, that speaks about the upper region. Okay. That includes, that speaks mostly of your, of your consciousness. Amen. Then you have the heart that's a little bit closer to um, this part right here. Let me see if I can get my mouse visible. I can't, unfortunately. So sorry about that. Yeah. It's not letting me make it visible, which is totally fine. Um, but basically what I'm trying to get at here is that surrounding your spirit man, all right, the first thing your spirit man encounters is your heart. Now, the heart, according to the scriptures, is um, deceitful, desperately wicked, amen? Who can know it? The Lord alone can know it. And for this reason, he puts himself inside of our, our spirit man, amen? God's life force is not what is driving us, amen, or what is inside of us intended to drive us, amen? And this life force of God wants to flow out of us, amen? Now, organically, this should happen, amen? This should happen naturally. Once you meet Jesus, amen, it's supposed to signify like you going up into the mountain and meeting with God, amen? But because you have, you have, you have already had interactions, amen? You know, maybe I should use a narrative in Exodus 19 to paint this. I really want to jump. I really want to... I guess we'll take our time, amen? I, I wanted to jump straight into what does dominion look like, but um, I wanna make sure also that we piece together some of these things, okay? 
<sighs> Moses went up to call to, call to God and says, you should say to the house of Jacob, tell the children of Israel, you've seen what I did in Egypt. In, in Egypt. Yeah, how I bore you on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. God asked him to obey his voice and keep his covenant so we will be a special treasure to him above all the people for all the earth is his. And we shall be to him a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that God wanted to be spoken to of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders and laid upon him all these words. All people answered it together and said that all the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that people will hear you when I speak with you and believe you forever. Now God knew they were going to disobey. They were going to not respond to him. So he made this provision here, okay? So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, amen? Now we've explained some of this before, right? If you've been a part of this, you remember when I spoke about well, at least if you've been listening to Word for now, you remember what I spoke about the, the trumpet sounding long, amen, and the trumpets with Joshua, and then the seventh trumpet, the final trumpet in 1 Corinthians 15, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in Revelations chapter 11, amen, and what the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet does, amen, it brings down the barricades and the barriers seen here when God said, set um, set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Amen. This was a picture um, where God was saying that the way they will come up to be with God is with the sounding of the trumpet. Hallelujah. That's right there is a, is actually a feast. Amen. The feast of the trumpet signifying that the barriers, the way into the most holy place has been made available. Now, why am I saying all of these things? If I just said earlier on that you have the fullness of God inside of you, amen. If I said earlier on that you've already started this journey of priesthood, if you've given your life to Jesus, I'm saying all of these things because all of the different feasts, the Passover, the first fruits, the unleavened bread, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Pentecost or weeks, um, the Feast of um, Atonement and um, um, Tabernacles, all of these things, they have, they're saying the same thing in different ways. And in the different ways they say things, they highlight specific things, okay? The Feast of Passover, right, represents the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And also represents the old you dying, amen? That process actually takes place at each of these seven feasts. Does that make sense? As you, and as measure the spirits of God are released upon you, all right? If you remember what we said about Exodus, amen? It, the spirit of God manifests as plagues, amen, striking and destroying the civilizations of this world, amen. It is not a friendly encounter. In fact, if you read the book of Revelations chapter six, oh man, see what I'm saying when, I'm, when, I'm, when I say that, what dominion looks like is gonna take a while. I think it will take a while because basically to explain dominion, priesthood has to be explained, amen. I'm going to see what I can do if I can jump out and show what dominion is and come back to priesthood, amen. But let me just paint this picture in Revelation chapter six. You know, when you read Revelation chapter six, the unsealing of the scroll, amen? I think the Lord wants us to go in this direction. I feel that because of even the way I went in the beginning. When the lamb opened one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and you conquer. Now, when you read this, right, you see Jesus Christ opening up a seal, right? 
And when he opened up a seal, a living creature says, come and see something, all right? And he see this down a white horse going out to do dangerous stuff. If I keep on reading the narrative, each of the seals almost seems to do worse and worse things, amen? You might begin to wonder in your heart, I thought the opening up of the sealed book should be a good thing, amen? Now, for context, okay, this is where we look at things happening in Revelation chapter six in parallel with the things happening in the book of Exodus, amen? As God begins to flood Egypt with the light of the spirits of God, because that's all that happened in Egypt. It wasn't like God was actually carrying out the plagues himself. No, no, no. Increasing measures of the glory of God, amen, were released, amen, into Egypt by virtue of the covenant that God had with Abraham. What happened was that when God told Abraham about his children coming into um, inheriting the land that Abraham was on, there was actually a resistance to that, amen? And that resistance was because of the slavery generation were going to be in, that's one, and two, the people that were going to come back and rule over that land while they were gone, amen? Now, what happened was that because of that, even Abraham himself had difficulty believing, all right? That difficulty down on, on the road, okay, that conflict down, down ahead of the road manifested in Abraham in his soul, amen? And so what did God do? God told him, hmm, let us begin the ritual to make sure that we secure this thing because this unbelief in your heart is going to break or frustrate my plans for your people. So God said, bring me this sacrifice and then this sacrifice and then this sacrifice. When Abraham bought the sacrifices, God now explained the narrative to him and explained that after 400 years, even despite everything that happened, there was still a delay, amen? Showing the resistance, amen? To the, um, to the desire of the Lord, amen? That had to be dealt with, hallelujah. But when it was time, Amen. For the Lord to, you know, the word of the Lord to come to pass, what happened was all those works that God had done with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were manifest. They were brought out. Amen. When the Lord, when their, the God of their ancestors manifested in Egypt, he manifested through Moses. Amen. God had to take Moses through a very um, rigorous training period of friendship, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Abraham had to meet with God on the mountain face to face. And through that encounter, under the tutelage of Ruel, the friend of God, amen, that's another person that was a friend of God, Ruel, um, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, amen. Through their interactions, Moses came into acquaintanceship with God. The fruits of that was that Moses was able to release, amen, hallelujah, release upon Egypt, amen, for lack of better words, a measure of that El Shaddai blessing. Hallelujah, El Shaddai means the destroyer of wickedness. If El Shaddai means a destroyer, it is because what he comes to destroy is wickedness. That's why we call I call him the destroyer of wickedness. El Shaddai is actually a very dangerous name. Amen. The name, only name that Jesus's name, Yeshua, um, <laughs> if you understand the Hebrew language, is the closest name of God to El Shaddai. Jesus's name captures all the names of God. That's the truth. But I'm saying it's the closest because Jesus actually destroyed Satan. Amen. And the way God destroys the enemy is always very interesting. It's never expected. And Jesus Christ captures that in the best, his story, his narrative, or what Jesus Christ did, the gospel story, captures that so beautifully. Amen? Okay, let's keep this going. So when the spirits of God invades Egypt, okay, that's the light of God manifesting, okay? When he manifests, he actually comes to destroy the works of the devil. Please, I'm saying all these things because... Um, God manifesting doesn't mean bad news. The bad news, um, God manifesting seems like bad news because God is light and he comes to expose how things really are. 
So let's say you have a drug ring and you're doing things that are bad, right? And the police show up. The police showing up is not actually bad news. It really shouldn't be. But if you're doing something that's wrong, then it will seem to you like it is bad news. But in reality, spirit, who knows what I'm saying? Amen. Hallelujah. What the police is there for is just to make sure that the things that are happening right there and there, they experience the consequence. When, when people are doing things that are illegal, they get away with them when there's no surveillance. Now, because there's no surveillance, that doesn't make things good. And then when there is surveillance, that makes it bad. That's wrong. Amen. In Nigeria, we're dealing with this exact same issue. Amen. Where people are not being held accountable for lots of things. Amen. And even if they were just repentant, that would be wonderful. There is actually, hallelujah. Because of a lack of transparency, so many horrible things are happening. Now, the fruit of this lack of transparency is felt by innocent people. Now, when righteousness begins to come in, okay, when light begins to shine, when transparency begins to dawn, the people who are benefiting from that wicked, you know, that wicked structure, they would not be very happy with it. In fact, they will see light coming as evil. It's not because light is evil. It's because they are evil. Does that make sense? This is why God is interested in our judgments, in, our, in righteousness in our hearts. Amen? Hallelujah. Because God wants us to see things from the right perspective. He doesn't want us to see things as enemies of God do. <laughs> Amen? That would be catastrophic. That would be horrible. Amen? We have better things spoken concerning us. Amen? So I'm saying all of these things because with this understanding, we can see that the plagues in the book of Revelation and what, in the book of Exodus, amen, they are very similar to what you see in Revelation chapter 6, amen, in that God is doing a work, a good work, but his good work is exposing darkness, and the wages of sin is death. Hallelujah. Now, if we go back to our little text here, amen, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, you remember we read earlier on, amen, when we read that, that portion of scripture, hallelujah. You remember what, well, we, the scripture that we read in, um, I believe it's in Isaiah chapter eight. Excuse me, hallelujah. It says in Isaiah chapter eight from verse 10, sorry, from verse 16. I'm speaking very gently today, amen. <laughs> Bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples, amen. So the book is sealed Amen. But only the disciples can read it. When the Bible says seal among my, among my disciples, it means let the disciples see how the book is sealed or the book should only be unsealed amidst my disciples. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. So in other words, the Bible is saying here when he says, I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. He's saying here that the face of God, amen, and the law or the testimony, amen, are the same thing. In other words, the face of God, the likeness of God can be seen in the law and in the testimony. Amen. In other words, when we go back to Revelation chapter six, from verse one through seven, when the, the book is unsealed, what's actually happening is the face of God is being seen. Now, if you don't believe me, I'm going to show you what happens when one of the seals is broken. Amen. Let's look at Revelation chapter six. Let's start from verse 12. We're going to see this narrative play out here, okay? When he opened the sixth seal, 
I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men, the commanders and the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. In other words, as the book is unsealed, the face of God is being shown. Can we see that? So we can see now that this verse, that verse in the book of Isaiah chapter eight was talking, hallelujah, when it said, bind up the law among my disciples, seal the bind up testimony and seal the law among my disciples. God was speaking, hallelujah, about the face of God captured in the scriptures. We see this in second Corinthians chapter three, right? He said, when um, Paul said, when Moses is read, we can just read that real quick, right? Second Corinthians chapter three, hallelujah. Even to this day, when Moses is read, hallelujah, a veil lies on their hearts. Moses here speaks about the Torah, amen, the law, amen. When the law and the prophets are read, there's a veil on the hearts of people, okay? Well, when turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled faces, when the veil is taken away, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So we see the glory of the Lord. Now, He's making reference in the New Testament to the glory of the Lord that is inside of us, okay? We see our spirit man. We see the finished works of Christ, amen? We see the fullness of our priesthood. Actually, we see our union with Messiah. We see God tabernacling inside of us, amen? That is the mirror we're looking at. It is, it is seen through these scriptures, hallelujah, who are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirits of the Lord. He's saying here the finger of the Lord, amen, these increased thresholds, amen, of the spirits of God, they are doing something to us, amen. They are unleashing the face of God, the likeness of God, the wrath of God. Now, the wrath of God as seen here from everything that we've said so far is the light of God shining and things being made manifest as they ought to be. So if, you, if there's darkness there, it dies. This is El Shaddai. He comes to destroy wickedness. He doesn't allow darkness to continue. Amen. He exposes it because the wages of sin is death. Amen. And what God comes to do is that he allows death to die. That's why Satan is afraid of God, because when Satan appears in front of God, his lack of existence becomes more tangible. Does that make sense? There's someone would say, but God is everywhere. Yes, he's everywhere, but he's not manifest everywhere. So for this reason, God is, is not seen visibly or tangibly everywhere. But wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty because where the spirit of the Lord is, amen, Satan's true form is visible, it's more tangible. This is how um, Israel found victory over Egypt. Egypt's um, covenants with darkness, with the gods of Egypt, amen, was what led to those plagues being poured out. And that's what you see in the book of Revelations chapter six. You're seeing the, the, um, the horsemen, amen, the chariots of fire, amen. They are released into the heart, amen, to go and destroy wickedness, to cause pestilence, to cause famine, 
Amen. All these things, they sound like they're evil, but they're not. It's actually the kindness and the mercy of God. Amen. And the fruit of all of these things is the judgment of this world inside of us through our friendship with God. This is why the Bible says in the book of James chapter four, when he says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Don't they come from your desires for pleasure that rage war in your members? He's speaking now about the, anyways, let's keep on going, okay? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and you make war, you make war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures, adulterers and adulteresses. It means covenant breakers, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Who therefore wants to be a friend of the of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I dare say the antithesis, antithesis of that as well. Whoever makes himself a friend of God makes himself an enemy of God. Hallelujah. So the civilization of God, amen, requires, entering into the civilization of God requires, amen, that we become enemies of wickedness. The Bible says, thou has loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed the oil glass more than all your fellows. Amen. This is after he spoke about him receiving the scepter of righteousness. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's keep this party going. Amen. You see all of these things compounded even more when we read Isaiah chapter 29. The whole vision, this is um, 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 Isaiah um, speaking about the vision, right? The Bible says, write the vision, make it plain upon tablets. Amen. That vision is the vision of the Most High. What Israel was invited to see on Mount Sinai, amen, that is what the vision is, all right? The Bible says, um, I'll pour out my spirit in the last days. <sighs> your, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your fathers and, and mothers shall dream dreams. Maidservants and manservants, they shall have these experiences. And because of, of this, visions will be seen, dreams will be seen, amen? That is actually what was meant to happen on Mount Sinai, amen? The outpouring of the spirits of God. That is the Shekinah glory that Moses carried on his way down. That was the Shekinah glory that rested on the Ark of the Covenant. That was the shining of Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. So every time that God said, this is my beloved son, it was because of a release of the spirits of God in a fresh measure, amen? Or in a fresh way, amen? I'm gonna use the word measure, hallelujah. And you see the climax of this on my resurrection day in Hebrews chapter one, thou art my son, this day have I begotten you. Amen. You see that in Psalms chapter, chapter two as well. Amen. The Bible explains in the book of Romans chapter one that when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, amen, he was raised from the dead by the spirits of God, amen, by the operation of the spirits of holiness, amen. This is how God called him my son. God calling saying thou art my son was by releasing his spirit upon him, amen. Hmm. So sonship hmm, and priesthood are very close together. If you study Hebrews 5, you can see what I'm saying. Um, and so you can also even see that the civilization of God, this dominion, is heavily tied to the workings of the spirits of God. These are not things that you don't know. Amen. So the whole vision, right, the sighting of the Lord, that um, organic priesthood that God wants to come into, amen, what was meant to experience has become to us like the words of a book that is sealed. So now we're seeing the Isaiah chapter nine narrative and the Revelation chapter five and six narrative of the book that is sealed, right? 
which men deliver to one who is illiterate, who's literate, sorry, who can read, saying, read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. All right. Then the book is delivered to the one who is illiterate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for I am not literate. Now, all of this might be a little bit confusing if you don't go back one verse beyond verse 11 to verse 10. Right before he said the whole vision, don't you like words of the okay? For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and has covered your heads, namely the seers. Now, I'm not going to get into this now, but God cannot pour out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. There's a verse in Thessalonians that says that God shall send out strong delusion among some people. God cannot do those things. But when God's spirit is withdrawn, it is seen as God releasing darkness. If I take away my light, it is seen as me releasing darkness. Does that make sense? So when the spirit of God is absent, then you know the spirit of God brings awakening, right? The spirit of God brings awakening and rejuvenation and revival. When the spirit of God is taken away, then the spirit of deep sleep comes upon us, right? And when, when the spirit opens up our eyes, Ephesians chapter one, in context, when he's taken away, then our eyes are closed, right? Naming the prophets. This is what you see in the book of Ephesians chapter book of Revelations chapter 2, when Jesus Christ threatens on one of the seven churches and says, I will take your candlestick from its place. It wasn't just Christ going to take his candlestick from its, from, it, from, its, from yeah, that's actually what, what would have happened, right? Revelation chapter 2. Let's just read that real quick and see that narrative, okay? Um, you've left your first love. Remember from where you've fallen and repent to do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent, Okay. And he keeps on going and talks about eating from the tree of life. Now, he was saying all of these words, hallelujah, because, amen, of what their hearts would do to the spirits of God, amen? It's not like God himself is actually taking his spirits away. It's because the spirit has been striving, case in point, Genesis chapter 6, amen, but man has begun to insult the spirits of grace, amen, to speak profanity to do despite amen and because of that the soul of man is becoming an enemy of god so for this reason deep sleep comes upon humanity in other words you're fighting the spirit that keeps your eyes open when you do that what happens your eyes get shut amen this is what happened with king saul amen King Saul fought against Samuel, resisted Samuel's unction. Samuel was obsessed with the laws of God, obsessed with the presence of God, obsessed with the spirits of God, obsessed with hearing the voice of God. His name actually means hearing God. <laughs> so it grieved him every time that Saul would disobey God. And what did, what did King Samuel say to him? Why are you doing this? Basically was a summary of all of Samuel's cries, right? But one specific time um, when um, a sacrifice was meant to be offered and, and um, 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 Samuel delayed, then Saul offered the sacrifice anyways. As soon as he finished disobeying God, Samuel showed up and was like, how did you do this? Making things even worse. And then he gave him an instruction, make sure you do what God tells you to do, which is kill everyone and everything. Spare no one, men, women, children, don't even spare any animals. And then Saul goes about things without using the righteousness of God that was revealed to him by Samuel. He goes about things his own way and says, hey, I've got sacrifices for the Lord here, the best and the fattest things. And Samuel looking at him like, Oh my goodness, you could have ruled for a thousand generations, but now you've come to an end of your reign. And as he begins to walk away from Saul, Sam, um, Saul reaches for Samuel and grabs his robe. And he says, the kingdom has been torn away from me. It has been given to a neighbor. Do you know who that neighbor was? The neighbor was David, right? Hallelujah. And how was the kingdom given to David? It was given to David when Saul, Samuel poured the oil on David's head. The kingdom was the spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. 
And when the Spirit of God was poured upon David, the kingdom was taken away from Saul. And because of that, an evil spirit from God came. It wasn't God that sent the evil spirit, amen? Because the anointing was no longer upon Samuel's head, something filled that vacuum, amen? The evil spirit, amen, that wanted to kill David. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And that evil spirit was not really from God. It was Saul's heart of rebelling against God. That is why he wanted to kill David. It's like the lying spirit from God in, um, in um, that narrative with Ahab, amen? When um, this dude, Micaiah, spoke and um, Ahab did not want to listen to Micaiah. Hallelujah. Bible says an angel came and said, um, I'll be a lying spirit amongst them. Hallelujah. If you check, amen, that narrative, you discover that that was during the time of Ahab, right? And Jezebel, right? Do you know that during the time of Ahab and Jezebel, no people were allowed to prophesy in the name of Yahweh. Amen. The actual prophets of God were killed by Jezebel. So I have a question. Who were those prophets then in Ahab's palace that were prophesying, thus says the Lord? Amen. The only prophet that was not killed was this dude, Micaiah and Elijah and a few other ones that Obadiah hid. Amen. That's why God told Elijah that you're not the only one that's hidden, right? There's 5,000 other people that have hidden all over the place. Amen. My point, I'm trying to get a point across here, okay? When this dude, <laughs> when these people were prophesying, okay, these prophets, even the one that slapped Micaiah, I think that's the narrative, yes, that slapped, um, <laughs> I'm thinking that's the right one. Maybe that's, maybe that's um, Jeremiah, I'm, I'm confusing here. No, it's Micaiah that saw the vision of the lion spirit, yes. So um, when, um, I think it was Jeremiah, it was in Jeremiah's time, that was when the slap happened. So there was no slap in with Micaiah. It was the king that put Micaiah in prison. Hallelujah. So again, the question, if the prophets that were prophesying to Ahab, amen, if these prophets were prophets of the Lord, hallelujah, what are they doing in Ahab's palace? They were liars, basically. Amen. And what happened was that their ability, they, they lied, but their lying was with knowledge of what the Spirit of God was saying. Now, what happened was that they kept on lying in the courts of Ahab. Amen. And so whenever God was sent to them the unction, whenever they would, you know, they knew how to work that, they knew how to stir that spirit. Amen. You know how to stir the spirits of God that was upon them to bring forth the oracles of God, the counsel of God. But because they kept on defiling and lying, amen, after a while of lying, amen, they could no longer tell the difference between their line, their, their own hearts coming up with nonsense and the spirits of God. That's why the spirit said, I will be a lying spirit to them. Because why? They have been lying since. The time for judgment has come. So when the spirits of God came upon them to prophesy, what happened? They didn't speak by the spirits of God anymore. They spoke by a lying spirit. Amen? This is very scary, right? Very sobering. This is how, this is where we look at what is actually taking place in the scriptures from a technical perspective. Amen? We're not going to stay at the shallow level of the parables of scripture. We're going to go to Jesus afterwards and ask him, great teacher, tell us what this parable means. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So again, going back to our narrative from Isaiah chapter um, 29, verse 11, the whole vision becomes to you like the words of a book, which is sealed. Amen. God did not seal the book. Amen. To them. Amen. Hallelujah. It was sealed among disciples of God because only the disciples of God would actually be interested in finding out what it means. So no, because you don't know what it means, it seemed like it's sealed. It's just like me speaking in my mother tongue. 
I'm speaking in my mother tongue to another person in my mother, that's understand my mother tongue because they understand my mother tongue. If you can't understand my mother tongue, I can't speak to you in my mother tongue, amen? The scriptures are speaking, speaking right now, all right? Speaking to us in the language of God, which if you do not understand that language, you do not have ears to hear, you do not have eyes to see, and therefore the, the words, the, the vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed because you don't understand what it is saying. He says, I cannot for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to one who's literate saying, read this please. And he says, I cannot for I am not literate. Amen. And the fruits of this, that in as much as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, their hearts are far away from me. So it's not God that's one of deep sleep is because their hearts are far away from him. Hallelujah. I hope we understand this narrative. So putting all this together, we can now see that as Jesus Christ was opening the book, all right, he was removing the spirits of sleep. In other words, the unsealing of the book is measures of the spirits of God being poured out. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to show this to you in the Bible. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Joel chapter 2. Hallelujah. From verse... Let's start from verse, let's see, 28. Yes. We've quoted this already, right? So it comes to pass afterwards, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And upon your, my manservants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirits in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. It shall come to pass, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hmm. So I want you to bear in mind, okay? For in Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So it's only among the remnant whom the Lord calls, okay? So the Spirit is poured out, all right? People begin to prophesy. They get all these, you know, they get all this spiritual intelligence, okay? And then there's wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood for the great and awesome day of the Lord. Where do we see this in the Bible? In many other scriptures, right? But specifically, I'm going to read now from Revelation chapter 6, from verse 12, in the opening of the sixth seal. I look, when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops his lay fig when it's shaken by a mighty wind, a mighty rushing wind. Where do we hear that, huh? Acts chapter 2, huh? Hallelujah. Isn't that probably why, what's his name, Peter understood? Um, that what was happening here was what was spoken of in, in, in the book of Joe, chapter 2. And the sky received as a scroll when it's rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Hallelujah. I'm going to stop right there. But can we see, amen, that if the sixth seal speaks about the outpouring of the spirits of God, amen, to this degree that the wonders in heaven are shown, could it not be that all the other seals are also outpourings of the spirits of God? But if you remember what it says in Joel chapter 2, this outpouring is only taking place to a remnant company. The book is only unsealed, amen, amongst disciples. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law amongst my disciples. Hallelujah. In other words, the book, amen, the sealed book that this vision has become, or the priesthood, hallelujah, is only unveiled, or the civilization of God is only unveiled to disciples. And it is revealed by the Spirit of God. 
Hallelujah. You see why organic priesthood is the only way forward? Thank you, Jesus. <sighs> Let's keep this going now, shall we? <laughs> Amen. So I hope you've seen now that all of the different seals in the book of Revelation, they are not really talking about, please hear me out, okay? In the book of Revelation, you are not actually seeing here um, events that will be taking place on the earth per se. These are things that will be happening in the hearts of people. So when you see in the book of Revelations, okay, a white horse, he had a bow on him, and the crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and conquering, and a fiery red horse, okay, and he came to take peace from the earth, and people should kill one another, and he gave him a great sword, and looked in black horse, and famine, and disease, and pestilence, and all of these things, what could come to your mind is, hey, God, we are now in Revelations chapter 6 now, 6 verse 5, amen, and you're not, you might not be wrong, okay, and I'm saying that because these are the words of God, amen, and what I've seen is that the scriptures have multiple um, manifestation, multiple fulfillment. For example, you would see the Bible talk about the seed of the woman, amen, bruising the head of the, head of the serpent, amen. Now, that could be seen as Jesus. Hallelujah, right? The virgin giving birth, amen. But the actual fulfillment that God had in mind really is the man-child company. I'm going to say this again. The actual fulfillment of scriptures that we see in Jesus Christ, where all the moments be fulfilled inside of us. Now, what Jesus Christ did for us was that he made sure that in union with us, we accomplished everything together. Does that make sense? The scripture was written, the fulfillment of scripture, which we're talking about now in, um, or for now, heritage and inheritance, amen, is actually meant to be fulfilled in us. Yes, it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but he did it as us so that we can experience together with him his fulfillment. In fact, in the fulfillment of the, what Jesus Christ did, not everything has been manifested yet. For this reason, he says this, the works that I do, you shall do, and greater works than these. And when we hear that, what comes to our mind is miracles. Yes, we will do that too. But the works that Jesus Christ did, the works that please God, right? Someone asked him a question. What shall we do that we may do the works of God? Only believe. That work of Jesus Christ, amen, in interacting with God, interacting with the spirits of God, the organic friendship Jesus Christ enjoyed, we are being invited to that, amen? And because of this, things that have never before been seen upon this planet, amen, the future days of creation will be on earth by our friendship with God. What does dominion look like? It looks like friendship with God. That has governmental consequences. And I'm saying this because this friendship with God is in measures. There is a measure of this friendship that people who are not friends with God can mimic. But there is a measure that magicians and sorcerers and astrologers cannot mimic anymore. In fact, it shuts them down. Hallelujah. This is what you see in someone like Daniel. When Daniel was in Egypt, when Daniel was in Babylon, excuse me, amen. The Bible tells us that when Daniel was tried, he and his friends were tried and tested, amen. They were found to be 10 times better than their peers. Amen. I want to ask you a question. If me and my peers take an examination, all right, and we are the best skilled in the world, amen, at these subjects, it would be very difficult for us to be tested, amen, and then um, someone who scored 10 times better than everyone else. Because if we are the best across the world, from across the world at these tests, right, 
then the worst we'll be doing would be like a 80%, right? Maybe a 70% at the worst. Fifties, really bad, I would think, if we're being tested in competence and we are the best in the world, then even the scale of what should be tested should be, we are the ones that define the scale, right? Something interesting happened, right? When the spirit of God that was upon Daniel, amen, was functioning in Babylon, for lack of a better word, it began to attack the same thing that happened with Aaron's rod, amen, and the two serpents of the magicians. They manifested, but if you check, they manifested the same thing, but if you check, this is what dominion looks like. Hallelujah. Our friendship with God is enmity with the world. Amen. Hatred for this world system. When, when, when that rod, amen, that rod turns to a serpent, representing the wisdom of the spirits of God, amen, when the spirits of God was made manifest, the spirits of wisdom was made manifest, amen, it did something. It swallowed up, amen, the two scepters of wickedness, amen, that those are the two, um, what the names are, amen, that came to, if you watch Prince of Egypt, <laughs> you're playing with the big boys now, that song, right? He swallowed up those two comedians, amen, and left them nothing but twigs. <laughs> Hallelujah. Actually, left them nothing. He swallowed their rods. There was nothing left, amen. The rod of Moses, amen, the rod of Aaron swallowed up everything. This is what, this is the earmark of the finger of God. I might, I might end today's with this, amen, simply with this, amen, um, which is that dominion, the dominion of God it's not coming to, to be friends with this world. It's coming to destroy it. No, make no mistake. I explained before that there's the Joseph manifestation. There is the uh, um, Daniel manifestation as an Esther manifestation. And there is the Moses manifestation. Please understand something. No matter which form you're taking, your goal is to destroy the world. You would see the hatred for this world manifesting. That love for righteousness, that hatred for wickedness. You would see Joseph, he told, his family members, swear to me, you will not leave me in this place. I don't want to be in Egypt. I was called to do work here, but swear to me that when our God visits us and takes us back to our inheritance. So he saw the work of his ancestors. He saw the priesthood of his dad, amen. The Bible says the Lord loves the gates of Zion, one of the dwelling places of Jacob. We need to love the gates of Zion. We need to love our civilization. We need to love our culture. I believe that the end of the ages, amen, is when the New Testament church discovers her heritage, discovers her ancestry, and because of this, discovers her priesthood. And through connection, amen, she begins to bring forth, amen, things new and things old. When you study the scriptures very carefully, you will discover that our obsession with God, amen, should not just stop at a primitive level. It is meant to advance and become more sophisticated. And this path of advancement is laid out for us in the scriptures so that we can, for lack of a better words, track our progress and see if, for example, we didn't have all these earmarks 
or these landmarks of, okay, the way you know that you are engaging kingdom is when the kingdoms of this world are being tampered with. How would we know? We can just do anything and say that is friendship with God. But because of the standard of the scriptures, again, what we read before, right? If they do not speak, amen, in the light of the law and the testimony, it is because there is no light in them. We have the guide of the scriptures for a reason. I'm laying this emphasis, amen, because the scriptures are not spoken with, without context. The scriptures are spoken in context of the tabernacle, in context of the feast, in context of the Jewish culture, and finally, in context of the Jewish language. And I would say also in context of Greek as well, because the New Testament was written in Greek. So for us to understand what the New Testament writers were saying, we need to have, for lack of better words, a sincere, a pure, an adulterated, a, um, a yes, an adulterated, a, a virgin, amen, um, understanding or comprehension of the scriptures as they wrote it. For the proper intention of writing is communication, right? So for communication to be fully achieved, there needs to be understanding. That thing, things like context, because human beings don't just speak. We always, we never speak in a vacuum. We always speak in context, amen? Again, that story of, of Samson and um, his groomsmen, he gave them a riddle, gave them seven days to figure it out. He said, if you figure it out in seven days, um, I'm gonna give you, um, I think 10 or 30 changes of clothes and 30 changes of sheets. And Pastor Douglas explained that that was speaking about the resurrection, that you would experience let me find that story. And he says, if you had not plowed in my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Judges 14. Let's start from verse um, 10. I'll end with this today. Ending a little bit early today. Amen. A little exhausted, but we'll trust God for grace. Hallelujah. Judges 14 from verse 10. Yes. Hallelujah. His father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men who used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So 30 groomsmen, okay? Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain to me within seven days of the feast. Ha, ha, ha. Seven feasts, huh? Okay, so I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. That right there corresponds, as I explained, this corresponds to each of them receiving a new body. New linen, new priestly adornment, amen? Priestly adornment, okay. If you cannot explain it to me, then you will give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. This is the resurrection unto shame, as captured in the book of Daniel. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. He said to them, out of the eater came something sweet, something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. For three days they could not explain the riddle, and it came to pass on the seventh day they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband, and may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house down with fire. So this shows the desperation to find, to discover Amen. The, the, the solution, the, the meaning of that riddle, of that parable. Hallelujah. Really, the story doesn't tell this explicitly, but if you check, you see something, okay? It says here that they, it came to pass on the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or we'll burn your, you and your father's house down with fire. This suggests to us that it was on the seventh day they made that, put that pressure on, on, on her. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? <laughs> but if you read verse 16, the Bible says, Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You pose a riddle to the sons of my people, but you don't even explain it to me. And he said to her, look, I've not explained to my father, my mother. So should I explain it to you? 
and she wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. So that means they have been pressuring her for seven days, but it was on the seventh day they threatened to kill her. It would happen on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed on him so much. That was because of the pressure they put on him. I'm, I'm reading to you a, a retelling of this verse that says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, the violent take it by force. Beloved, our friendship with the spirits of God, the spirits of wisdom is a friendship with that woman there. Amen. The Bible says here, the men of Sitsi said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, before the end of the seventh day, ha ha, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. In other words, he was saying something without interfacing, interaction, amen, without communication, you could never have solved my riddle. This is Jesus speaking to us now as his bride, okay? You know how the bride pressed on, on her husband. Tell me this riddle. He said, I've been told my dad and my mom, tell me this riddle. If not, you hate me. This is the heart posture we need to have, amen? To discover the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The mysteries of the kingdom of God are not limited to words that are to be spoken, amen? The mysteries of the kingdoms of God as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, they are the words of the wisdom of God, amen, that demonstrates the spirit and demonstrate the power of God. They make manifest the operations of the spirits of God and make manifest the operations of the power of God. The fruit, amen, of the solution to these riddles is that the spirit of God is allowed to run rampant on the inside of you. Paul calls, amen, these words, the weapons of our warfare, by which we cast down strongholds, the things that block the spirits of God from finding entrance into our souls. <sighs> Beloved, I hope you're seeing what organic priesthood looks like. It, it manifests as plagues, amen, as the El Shaddai blessing, the fruit of interaction with God, El Shaddai blessing, the spirits of God manifesting um, um, danger to the enemies of God. Amen. Now that danger, okay, looks like something about you dying. That is the feast of Passover. Amen. We're going to keep on going through all the other feasts. I don't think we're going to take this long to go through the first one. Amen. Hallelujah. But there's Passover. There's unleavened bread. Amen. There's first fruits. Amen. There's Pentecost, the feast of weeks. Amen. There is the Feast of, of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, amen? All of these things speak about measures of access of the spirits of God, amen, into our souls by virtue of the message of the gospel, by virtue of exposure to the glory of God, by virtue of priesthood, by virtue of friendship with God. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I really hope this blessed you this evening, beloved. Um, thank you so much for staying this long with us. No vigil starts in an hour, 30 minutes. Amen. Um, please get some rest as soon as you can. Um, we are, by the mercy of God, going to exhaust this theme of the ecosystem of the age to come. Amen. And right now we're focusing on our civilization, our culture. What does dominion look like? Amen. What does our civilization look like? What does our technology look like? Amen. And this is set on course for collision with our Watchman Prophetic Conference, amen? As we continue to look at what kind of people, amen? What kind of people 
would control and govern these ecosystems of the age to come. Hallelujah. These individuals are watchmen. They are watchers. Amen. And their decrees tamper with the ecosystems of both this present age and the age to come. Hallelujah. On behalf of all the leadership in the Kavadulam community, I want to tell you thank you so much for joining us. This has been a wonderful time in the word of God. Amen. Um, I'm hoping that you can join us on Saturday for preparing his bride. Amen. Um, the 3 p.m. watch kicks off at 3 p.m. and the fellowship officially at 4. Um, but before that, we have Perez tonight and um, a wonderful time in his presence. Please enjoy yourself in um, the midnight prayers. Oh, and we have an emergency worship communion. If you're a parent, please join us in person. I don't have the graphic for that here. We kind of just, the Spirit of God inspired this in our hearts last night. Um, last night would have been this morning in Nigerian time, yeah. Um, and um, basically, um, um, the, the Lord wants to release something upon um, the next generation. And we want to see it happen. At the same time, the enemy is trying to release something upon the same generation. And we don't want to see that happen. And the instruction that we were given was to um, wait upon the Lord tomorrow morning from 10.30 a.m. from, I think it's 9 a.m. or 10.30 I can't remember what the time, I think it's 9.30 a.m. actually. Um, West African time, Nigerian time. And um, we want to see the young people ministering to the Lord um, during this time, this time frame, this time window. Um, this is an instruction that we were given. Um, there are some prophetic signs that have taken place already, some that are taking place right now, and some that are going to take place um, tomorrow morning. Um, we really hope that um, you'll be, you've been blessed by today's session. And um, all that's been said is encouraging you to go deeper in your walk with God. Thank you so much for joining us, beloved. Jesus loves you. Goodbye. <laughs>